Guardian Unlimited. Welcome to the New Zealand Uncovered podcast. To find out more, visit NewZealand.com. This is Nick Taylor for Guardian Unlimited. I've been asked to fly to the other side of the world and find out a bit more about what awaits visitors to New Zealand. Well, I'm on the ferry uh, at Picton, which is the place on the top of the South Island where you uh, get the ferry over to Wellington at the bottom of the North Island. So this is my transition from the South Island over to the North Island. I'm on a, on a huge ferry, but the... Uh, the environment around me is still really gorgeous, lovely big green hills um, and gorgeous blue ocean. It's a lovely day again and I think the crossing is going to be about three hours which comes in at about 60 or 70 dollars so uh, it's pretty inexpensive to get from uh, one island to the other. You can take a car if you want, that's a bit more but uh, it's 70 bucks just for, just for me as a passenger on my own. I've checked in my car and I'm going to rent one the other side. And I thought it's probably a good time for me to talk about the route you take through New Zealand. I started from the South Island and I'm travelling up north. Most people probably do it the other way around, flying into Auckland and leaving from Queenstown, say, so the opposite of what I'm doing. I've arrived in Wellington and come straight to the Book Lovers B&B, which is a lovely place to stay um, in the east of the city. Would I be right in saying it's the, the east? Yes, the east of downtown, yeah. The east of downtown, especially nice for book lovers because the place is absolutely full of books, and I mean full. It's jam-packed with paperbacks and gorgeous novels everywhere. And it's all the idea of my host here, Jane Tolleton. I haven't got very long in Wellington. Where would uh, a culture vulture, where's the best place to stop off? Right, well, you do have to go to Tipapa. That's your national museum? It is, it has the usual things that you would expect, like quite a lot of Maori exhibits, but it's all very user-friendly. One of the great things about Wellington is that it is very small. You know, I could walk to that nature reserve from my house in slightly longer than it would take me to walk down to Parliament and a bit longer than it would take me to walk to Te Papa. I mean, it's all you could sort of almost walk it in a day. So I've, I've left Wellington now. I'm heading north on Highway 1, which is the highway that runs all the way up the North Island. And uh, while I was there, while I was in Wellington, um, I spent a couple of days there and I, di- I did some other great stuff. I went to Courtney Place, which is the big um, street where most of the nightlife in the city uh, is based around. There's some great restaurants there, bars and clubs. If you want to go for a frilly drink or you want to go dancing in Wellington, head to Courtney Place. Then there's the cable car, which is really a must for all visitors to Wellington. It's a cable car that runs up from Lambton Quay to a place called Kelbourne, where the botanic gardens are. And from up there, you get to see a really fantastic view of the water that Wellington sits on and, and a view out over the, the whole city. It's one of those things, it's one of those kind of must-dos for visitors to Wellington. Lake Taupo, where I'm headed, is it's a bit like the North Island's version of Queenstown in, in that it's known for its adventure sports. It's got this vast lake where lots of power boating and uh, jet skiing and things like that go on. 
reading up about this place, there are some uh, sports that I've never even heard of, which sound like they they need some attention. So I'm going to spend tomorrow there having a nose around and see what I can find and see if I can find something that I've never even heard of to go and do and break a bit of a sweat, both out of panic and out of exertion. Well, I'm here in Lake Taupo, which is uh, the largest lake in New Zealand. Uh, and it's absolutely colossal. It's like a sea. It was formed, actually, by an enormous volcanic eruption, which happened about 25,000 years ago. It was so big, in fact, that it destroyed all of the uh, plant and wildlife on the North Island when it erupted. It left this enormous dent in the middle of the North Island, which now is uh, filled up with water and is now Lake Taupo. It's a lovely scenic area, um, surrounded by volcanoes the volcanic nature of the north island is what gives it lots of the geothermal activity here there's lots of hot springs in fact in in taupo there's a lovely hot springs complex called taupo hot springs funnily enough uh, where you can go and soak in mineral pools and lie in outdoor hot pools as well as having massages and beauty treatments and stuff like that but most people come to Taupo for slightly more adrenaline-fueled activity. It's another one of these places um, in New Zealand, another centre of uh, high adrenaline sports. There's a bungee jump here, which is in a really scenic environment, which is very popular. So pretty much the usual array of New Zealand extreme activities. I've managed to dodge those so far while I've been here, but I don't think it would be in the spirit of this trip if I if I completely avoided all terrifying activity. So this afternoon I'm going to go along to um, a place called Rock and Ropes, which is a kind of activity centre where you can swing on ropes and walk high wires and uh, swing on trapezes and basically do everything um, that you shouldn't do about 20 metres off the ground. It's a kind of treetop adventure playground where you're roped in and encouraged or forced, possibly in my case to run along little little areas far too high up off the ground now I'm not that keen on heights so I thought in the spirit of New Zealand I'd go along and strap myself in and uh, see what that's all about the fifth one the trapeze this one here in front of me with the blue ropes attached climb to the top of the pole when you get to okay, the top so I'm about of the pole. 20 meters off the ground maybe 15 20 and I've got a tight rope to walk on and to <laughs> to uh, <laughs> oh dear oh dear me whoa man I have a new respect for circus performers I'm here with Glen Abel and we've just done half a day on the rock and ropes courses it's what how high are those poles that we've just been jumping off range from 12 and a half meters up to 15 meters um, the lowest one 12 and a half meters is the easiest one with two wire bridge and the 15 is, is the, the giant swing the giant swing which was the thing we did last which it's was the last one on the course the last one but the best way to finish the day yeah incredible it's nice that one because you don't really have to do anything except for not look down and just you fling us off the side and I'm a, a, I'm a gentle man but yes I fling you off the side 
And what sort of ages do you run it for? Can kids come and do it? How young? We cater from seven upwards. Uh-huh. The youngest I've had on the course is four, but she was pretty tough. Um, and the oldest is a 76 and a half year old Scottish lady wow. by the name of Barbara. Did they make the... Uh... She did the whole course. Oh, wow, that's pretty good. Yes. We get to spend three and a half hours with you. We don't expect you to come in here as a customer. You come in as a friend. We t- treat you as a friend, which means you get the treatment my friends would get, which can be hard or soft. depends on what you... I mean, a ribbing sometimes. You're going to get a ribbing, yes. And I take a ribbing back. The good thing is with the three and a half hours, we learn about you, we talk to you, we have fun with you. I'll ask you lots of different things about where you're from, what you do. Um, where you're travelling because we get three and a half hours and that makes it more personal the whole idea here on the course is to have fun but build people not destroy them I've come to Rotorua which is a town on the North Island and it's a big centre for geothermal activity they have lots of pools of bubbling mud geysers and hot springs around here in fact as you come into Rotorua you see these plumes of white smoke rising up over the town, uh, which are emanating from the holes in the ground. The whole place actually smells very sulphurous from, from miles out. Maori people have been living in this part of New Zealand, Rotorua, for over a thousand years. It's one of the hubs of their culture. And it's here that they've built New Zealand's largest Maori cultural centre, a place called Tepuia. Visitors who come here get to watch traditional dances, traditional songs. They get a Maori welcome when they, when they come in, and they also get to see performances of war dances, such as the haka. There's also a reconstruction of a Maori village, so you can wander around and see what life would have been like in one of those. And then there's lots of hot, bubbling pools of mud and geysers that you can watch too. I talked to one of the guides about the work that goes on here at Tepuia. As a name, it refers to the geysers and the hot springs. That's what Tepuya is. But here, we take the name Tepuya from a small hill in the valley, which in its time was an actual fortress, or as we call it, a pa. And the pa is where our people would go for protection when the threat of battle came about. So that's where Tepuya takes its name for us here. How long have married people been here? Well, they've been here over 500 years. But when you look at uh, the Tarawera eruption of 1886, which is about 25 kilometres east of here, once that occurred, then the, our ancestors from there, the survivors, moved here to live amongst kin. And, of course, it was an ideal place because you had a, like a Garden of Eden. You had the steam, the hot water to wash, to cook and to bathe by. And so it's still used like that today by our people. And what about today? Does, does the Maori culture survive only through areas like this where it's preserved? Is it integrated with a Western culture? How does, it, how does it exist now? I think Maori culture has always been strong. Today, perhaps more strength um, has, has evolved with the oncoming of uh, our language. Today, I think there's more interest of our younger generation than perhaps we had as children growing up. This is your main centre that time back, it was the only centre that that was actually a Maori organisation. Today you've got a lot of them out there, so it just shows you, you know, everyone out there, everyone of their own tribe is doing their own thing. But it's fabulous, you know, to think from 
from one people, that was us here at uh, Rotorua, who were the mainstay of Māoridom in such a way of culture and all of that. Today it's just so widespread throughout, it's, it's just fantastic. Okay, Mona's going to help me with some basic Māori language skills here. What are some basic Māori that I could learn today? I think the one that um, we share with our visitors most often is the greeting, which is a simple kia ora. Kia ora. And that says hello. It's our word for thank you. It's our term for good health, be well. So it's collectively it's a kind that of word in all of that. Yeah. Exactly. Um, then you have haerera. Haerera. And that's the farewell. All right. Now, this is where it becomes a little bit more complicated okay. because it's me who says hide it out to you because you're the one going. Okay. All right. Your reply to me is enohora. Enohora. Yeah, because I'm the one remaining. Okay, let's try that second okay. one for me. Enohora. 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 That's right. That's right. So okay, excellent. There we are. So that's your hello and your farewell. Well, I've driven north from Auckland and uh, come up to the part of New Zealand that's called Northland. I'm actually in a place called the Bay of Islands, which is a bay surrounded by small towns. It's really one of the most peaceful places I've been in New Zealand. And I've come slightly north of the Bay of Islands to a place called the Cavelli Islands. When you come to New Zealand... You're surrounded by uh, this is incredible natural scenery almost all the time that you're here. And a lot of work is done, mainly by the DOC, the Department of Conservation, to uh, preserve it, make sure that it's, it's not spoiled for future generations. And in fact, that's something you can get involved in too if you come here. There are various opportunities to volunteer, give some of your time to conservation efforts that are going on around New Zealand. I've come to a place called Motuoa Island, which is just northeast of Auckland. Um, it's only about it's about an hour away from Auckland. And here, um, they're working very hard to return the island's natural um, environment to how it was before the Europeans came here and turned this into some farming land. It, it, it was farmed for a couple of hundred years. But there's work going on now to replant the native New Zealand bush and to uh, reintroduce lots of native New Zealand species of lizards and insects and things like that. And if you come here on the last Sunday of the month, you can pay $16, get a trip across, get your lunch, and help with that conservation project, mainly planting of uh, the, new, the new bush, the trees and the shrubbery. I've come over here today, and uh, I'm going to talk to some of the people who are in charge of that conservation work about how to get involved. This island is very special because it has never, ever had predators on it. And for many areas of New Zealand, it's the predators, the possums and the rabbits and so on, which have done so much devastation. This island, despite being farmed for about 100 years and having people come visit, has never, ever had even a mouse, and we are so proud of that. And it makes a difference to the island too. What we're doing is we're replanting so that the trees and quite a few Little areas of bush were left on the island in the gullies and the seeds from those trees have been um, germinated and then as they grow up into small bushes, our job is to plant them back into the area that we've designated for that particular winter because 
the rain comes in the winter and the winter is when we do our tree planting. The long-term hope for the island is that all the areas of the island that we want to cover, we will leave a few areas um, flatter because of the views from the top of the island and so on, and there's a camping area as well, which is grass. The long-term is to, to cover the island with an area of bush and then gradually to introduce a few of the things, um, insects and the birds and so on, which would have been here before, but which have disappeared for varying reasons. We still have some birds, but not all the ones we'd like. If you want to find out more information about the Motawara Island conservation work or any other conservation projects in New Zealand, a good place to start is the DOC website, and you can find that at www.doc.govt.nz. Well, I've come to the end of my trip. I've reached Auckland... And I've got a couple of days here and then uh, I fly back home. And what a nice place to end my trip. It's another sparkling, beautiful day. And I'm in a city that's surrounded on three sides by water. They call this New Zealand's city of sails. And you can understand why, wandering around by the harbour where I am now, the place seems to be completely besotted by yachting. They held the America's Cup here in 2000 and again in 2003. And at that time, they regenerated this harbourside area. And it's absolutely fantastic now. Also at this viaduct area, there's lots of nice restaurants and bars where you can come and have a drink. It's a great place just to, to wander around in the sun on a day like today or sit down and have a coffee. But standing where I am now, all I can see are the masts of all these incredible yachts. Huge. Auckland's really divided by one main street called Queen Street, which is where a lot of the backpacker hostels are and the cheaper hotels and cheap places to eat and drink. It's a good street to go to at first and get your bearings of the city. It runs all the way down to the harbour where the uh, financial district starts. And on one side is uh, Sky Tower, which is the, the needle, the tallest building in the city, which kind of dominates the skyline. It's this fantastic needle that shoots up into the sky. Whether you end up in Auckland at the beginning of your stay, or like me, at the end of your stay, it's a, it's a good base to go out and do lots of activities. You can take cruise ships around the harbour and you can also go out on whale and dolphin watching cruises, which you can pick up right here. It's also a really good place to just get to know Kiwis. Like everywhere in New Zealand, you can't help but strike up conversation with the people that you meet. Everywhere you go, people are friendly, people are interested in what you're doing there, what you think of their city. They're very proud. You can see masses in three weeks, but you can't see it all. It's not a huge country, but there's just so much diversity from mountains to glaciers to huge cosmopolitan cities. It's just so much to do. You're never going to do it all. You shouldn't really try, I suppose. I've given it a good go, and I feel like I've only scratched the surface. Whatever you end up doing, it's going to be an experience. It seems like every single day, you can have a completely different experience. And when you take that into consideration, it's really not that far away. It seems, in some ways, like a completely different world think it's certainly worth it without a doubt it's 
when are you going to come here and do these things? For, for, for 24 hours of sitting on a plane, it's, it's nothing really. In the previous podcast, I explored the South Island. I went swimming with seals, walked the Rob Roy Valley track, and went to a singles ball to discover the extent of New Zealand's man drought. If you missed it, you can download it from guardian.co.uk forward slash travel forward slash experience New Zealand. You've been listening to the New Zealand Uncovered podcasts. To find out more, visit newzealand.com. Guardian Unlimited.